I'm Troy Washington from KTBS3, and we welcome you to the Education Checkup. We look forward to sharing the positives and the challenges of our local schools. We will talk with education leaders, teachers, and community leaders, letting our community know what is happening and talking about ideas to share between schools and our community. We have new episodes every other Monday, and you can find KTBS Education Checkup wherever you listen to podcasts. So let me introduce my co-host, Dr. Philip Roseman. Now, Dr. Roseman, you and I talked, and what really stood out to me is that for 25 years, you've dedicated your efforts to improving education right here in Louisiana. And I just want to tell everyone who's listening or watching, it's not because you're the son of doctor, you're the son or daughter of a doctor, but it's also because you realize the emphasis of education and how it can really open doors for people. And you want to make sure that you open those same doors for those coming behind you. So without further ado, will you just tell me about some of the alliances and things that you've been a part of and why this podcast is so important to not just ourselves, but our parents, the parents out there, the students, and just anyone who wants to know about the progress of the school systems here. Well, thank you for the kind My introduction. For those who are listening, our goal is to look at uh, the achievements and challenges in our schools and put all this in perspective. Uh, you know, a lot of things happen in our school and we don't really know. Uh, our family is no different than anyone else. Uh, knowing education is the key to opportunities. It's the foundation of the American dream. And we have a fantastic guest today. I've known Johnette a long time. Uh, Johnette, let me just share uh, a little bit about you with okay. those that are listening today. Uh, she's the assistant professor uh, at Louisiana Tech, but she also is on faculty of the LSU Health faculty, and she's also on the faculty of the Digital Wellness Institute. And that's a global initiative about social media. She writes and speaks a great deal on the subject of social media. She is an Athena Award recipient, that just tells me. She's excelled in her field, she's devoted to her community, and you have been. Uh, and also you've opened doors for many others. Uh, many women uh, had doors opened by what you've done. Uh, I'm also very familiar with KTBS having been a reporter <laughs> early in her career. We're talking social media, correct? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're gonna get into some social media. We know that that's a big deal when it comes to the younger kids these days. You know, we were talking about that off camera um, you were talking about how newscasts, that used to be the source of just all your information, and now that's changed a lot, right? It has. Uh, technology has changed so much. And, you know, one of the things I'm going to be working on this year with Caddo Parish Schools is helping parents understand when to introduce certain technologies, boundaries to place around them, so that they can create healthy tech households and not have their children develop habits which are basically not good for them. Well, I know now, as you were kind of talking about, these are tools that we use for learning. It's not just uh, for surfing the web, which you even explained the internet wasn't as big of a deal kind of even 20 years ago, right? Oh, yeah. But now it's a main tool when it comes to learning, something that students rely on even. And, you know, with the Digital Wellness Institute, where I'm a, a director and a global faculty member, we're not anti-tech because anybody who thinks you can throw these things out and not use them is not being very realistic. 
So we're pro-tech, but we also really are about emphasizing healthy tech because we want people to get all of the advantages of technology, and there's so many. But we want them to also have the skills to avoid the dangers. And I'll, and I'll tell you a little bit about, I call these the big three. So these okay, are the big three. the big three things that parents ask me about technology. The first one is how much screen time should I allow? Oh, that's a big one. That's a big one, and especially parents of young children. And Dr. Roseman, you know what the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends for children up to the age of six. It's uh, one hour during the weekdays and three hours at a max on the weekend, which I have to say that <laughs> my uh, grandchildren may exceed. And certainly we should all try to, to put a limit uh, on that. You know, the thing that was interesting to me in looking at your worksheet and your statistics is in the tweens, the, the four to eight year olds, I had no idea, I was shocked uh, by the fact that in that group, they, that the girls spend average five hours a day on screen time. Boys have another hour, six hours a day. And in places where uh, low income families, mm -hmm. it's three more hours on top of that. So wow. we're talking about eight to nine hours in front of a screen that can't be good uh, for them. And uh, I know there's got to be some rules. There has to be some things that we need to think about, about some limits that we as parents, grandparents need uh, in that regard. So what about that, uh, Johnette? Well, I think the thing that we've, we've learned in recent years is that while screen time is really an important thing to monitor because it's so important that children have face-to-face -face interactions, they go out and play, they do all of these things to develop other skills, we have to pay just as much attention to what they're doing. So for example, the American Academy of Pediatrics is fine with a 12-month-old doing a video chat with grandmom in another city, okay? So if you're video chatting with extended family out of town, that's quite different from shooting zombies on video games. So it's not just how long you're looking, at the screens, but also the content that's being consumed or? That is really important. Mm -hmm. Are you doing things that are educational? Those are quite different. Are you using technologies to connect with other people? And really the important thing too for parents to see is what their children are, um, how, what kind of behavior they're exhibiting. Are they getting aggressive? Do they seem angry? Do they seem sad when they're engaged in it? So there's, it's really much more difficult. I wish we could just tell parents, if your child is eight years old, they should do this. And if it's 10 years old, they should do that. Yeah. It's really hard to do that. But the most important thing is to look at how your child's responding and then also steer them toward things that are interactive as well as educational. It sounds like it's a lot deeper than, than just looking at the screen or how long you're doing it, but also uh, it even correlates with your community, your neighborhood, or just your background and how do we, and, you know, throughout this checkup, we're going to be talking about how we fill those gaps and we get everyone on track so that they're headed towards success. Right. And those video games, there's mm -hmm. some that seem to be video games that seem to have some educational component to it, and some video games just are like zombies, killing zombies. Uh, is it the, 
do you look at the content and everything? Are you, uh, does that, does oh, that have a bearing? that's hugely important. And one of the things that we have for so many activities like that is ratings guidelines. So, you know, if you look at a video game, it will tell you what is the, the minimum age that's appropriate for it. And the first thing I would tell parents is pay attention to those guidelines. Those are, they're really, really helpful. And if it says this is for a mature audience, your 12-year-old is not ready for something for a mature audience. So follow those as a good starting point, yeah. Those youth and youth seven and youth 13, all of that. All of that. And another area where I say pay attention to that is social media. So do you know what the average age is that you are supposed to be for a social media, to register for a social media account? Hmm. I feel like at one point it was a little older, like 13. It's 13, exactly. <laughs> you have like YouTube for kids mm -hmm. and things like that. But Facebook, Instagram, they're at least 13. Some of them are even older. Wow. So, and here's the other thing that parents need to remember. When you set up an account, you sign an agreement and you state that the, the account holder, the person you're setting it up for, is at least 13. And so if you're setting up an account for a 10-year-old, you're actually stating something that's not true in an agreement. I would also like to state that it's not just 10-year-olds who have these accounts. We're learning that on TikTok and these other social media accounts, they're even younger. They are, and so parents really need to understand social media is not like Legos. It wasn't made for children. Mm. It was made for adults. And there's a, a gentleman named Tristan Harris who runs the Center for Humane Technology. And you know, he says, we wouldn't allow our, our children to just roam around in a casino. You know, we shouldn't point. give them one and put it in their hands either. And that's kind of what we're doing. We're giving children access to adult content and uh, often we're doing it too soon. What are the dangers that are lurking out there? You know, for me, it's scary uh, to mm -hmm. see some of the things on social media and not some of the things that happen. And of course, you listen to the news or you listen to your friends and they will tell you all kinds of things that they found on, on social media and all kinds of dangers lurking for children. What are some of those and, and uh, is there, what kind of protection do you have from, from that? Well, what I would tell parents is before you ever allow your child on social media, and I've actually, I'm developing a workbook. It's gonna be uh, finished, I hope, very soon. But it, I take parents through all the different conversations they need to have, cyberbullying, media literacy, mm -hmm. how to spot something that's not right, sextortion, catfishing. There are a number of, of different things, but cyberbullying really has become the one that parents are most concerned about. And I will tell you, a child who is bullied online is uh, more likely to consider suicide. We have data showing that. The thing about cyberbullying, remember when we were all growing up and yeah. there was that bully in the, in the, on the playground? Well, when you changed. Yeah, well, <laughs> you got away from him when you got on the bus and went home, right? Right. Okay, cyberbullying follows you home. It's with you all the time. And if someone's using a fake account, then they can do things and say things and not suffer the consequences of it. You know, the bullies of the playground got in trouble. And we've done so many stories where the parents, it was no way for them to track 
how this person may have been just constantly bullying them because you're not able to be there at every second of the day. No. So having conversations with your children and one of the, the, the one on cyberbullying, I say, first of all, explain to them what it is. Tell them, by golly, if they ever see it or experience it, to come to you immediately and not to be one. Make sure that they understand. That's an important you know, topic because, as well. Exactly. And, and the other thing, too, and Richard Collada, who wrote a book called Digital for Good, says, teach your kids to be an upstander instead of a bystander. And that means if you see it, to stand up and say, that's not an acceptable thing to say. So-and-so is a good friend. That's not okay. John Nate, you know, when I was teaching Sunday school, uh, middle, <laughs> middle school Sunday school, which I, uh, I would say to anybody, you should do that because it keeps you humble. But in that, uh, I would teach them about loyalty to the absent. That would be the one thing I would want my middle school kids to leave knowing from uh, what we were talking about is, be, be loyal to those that are absent. You'd be amazed mm -hmm. if you stand up and, and say, no, that's not right. Mm -hmm. How that can change the whole tenor of the discussion and change the tenor for the person that's being bullied or being talked about in a bad way. And I think it's, it's, it's worse with girls probably than even mm -hmm. the guys and what they do. So uh, that's just, just mm -hmm. I can see how this, going all this going on in, on internet yeah. how damaging and how difficult that is and how hard that is on children uh, especially those in middle school and and earlier yeah to navigate while trying to be productive in the classroom as well it is it is the the third big question so we've talked about how much screen time when should i let my child on social media and that is when should i let my child get a phone that's a good one. <laughs> That's a good one. And lots of parents want their kid. They don't want their child on social media, but they want their kids to have a phone because they want to be able to contact them. It makes mom and dad feel better. And here is the latest and best advice on that. So often parents think it's either an iPhone with everything on it or it's nothing. They forget that we have this phone that's been around for a long time <laughs> called a flip phone. Uh -huh. And so now many experts recommend that a child's first phone, uh, you know, a fifth grader, be a flip phone. So all it does is ring and that's it. Well, the flip phones have a few games. A few. Snake. A, a few, a few <laughs> other little things. Yes, or you can take an iPhone or, or any other type of phone. And there's so many parental controls available. So you can make it where they can't access social media. They can't text people you don't know. They can't play games. So you don't, you really have a lot of options between a phone that does everything and nothing. Now tell me, now still, at what age should you even consider allowing them that responsibility? Because having a phone, though it makes us parents feel better, it is a responsibility. It is. It, there is no official <laughs> guidance, but I will say this. Most kids have a phone by the time they're 10, all right, well, even younger. And there really isn't a lot of criticism about parents giving kids phones that have that highly limited capability. Okay. So if you, if you feel better, and, and uh, you know, a lot of parents want to know their children are safe at school, especially if something happens in the school, if you feel better about having your child have a phone, 
then give them one that just meets that particular need. Well, that is good information. Yes, yes, very you much agree? So. And and getting back to screen time, and I guess as it relates to education that we're talking about, some of the things that I'd be con concerned about as it relates to 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 the phones and the internet and the screen time is that there's only so many hours in a day. Yes. And if you're spending six to eight hours in front of a screen, when are you doing your schoolwork? When, when you're, it's, there's almost a competition here between the school and what mm -hmm. the school's trying to do and the internet and what is drawing the kids to that. Yeah. How do we deal with that? What do we do? Uh, there's, a, there's an interesting graph in the World Happiness Report from 2019 that was issued by the UN. And it showed that in 2012, some, some big things happened. Facebook got a billion users, and most Americans then owned a smartphone. And a study of eighth graders and 10th graders found that internet use skyrocketed. And it, with exactly what you're talking about, if internet use skyrockets, then other things have to decline. And here are the three things that declined sleep, mm. in-person interaction, and here's the other one, happiness. Hmm. Happiness. Well, what, that, is what is childhood if you're not able to be <laughs> have that happiness, though? Exactly, but what we found was that more screen time did not end up making children happier. And what we know about well-being and we know about happiness from research is the happiest people are those who have meaningful connections. They're with other people, they care about other people, and they have people who care about them. That's mo what's most important. And if screen time, if we use it in isolation, we use these devices by ourselves, instead of interacting with other people, then you're gonna have depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation, all of those problems that we're seeing with teens today. The other thing, and I, you know this story, but for those listening, mm. Uh, is this idea of what um, the internet and all the social media does and when someone's looking at it and seeing everything is so wonderful for everybody else mm -hmm. and my life is falling apart or I'm depressed or I'm not happy, okay? And, and what impact it has seeing all that, quote, happiness mm -hmm. going on outside of your own life. And you know the story for me is that uh, my uh, daughter uh, husband was was murdered in in, in uh, yeah. Dallas, and she stayed on Facebook and and Instagram and saw all of this happiness that was all around her, and she couldn't have any of it because mm. of what had happened to him, and and it was amazing when we said maybe we ought to come back off of the Facebook uh, and right. not be looking at all of this. And it's a, it made a huge difference when she wasn't looking. So that issue, I think, is another one. I don't know if that's something that y'all talk about or, or... And I remember that conversation, uh, Dr. Roseman, that we had when you asked, you know, what, what did I think she should do? And I said, I think she should get off. Yeah. Because what we do know about um, social media is that if you are already depressed, as you would expect anyone who had been through what she Lost. was went yeah. through, um, if you're already anxious, if you already have body image issues, then social media is apt to exacerbate it. 
Okay, so if you're already struggling, if you if you feel like you're kind of, you're fighting some mental health challenges, and approximately half of students uh, in high school say they are. Uh, then you really need to think twice about how you use social media. And when you do use it, you know, what, what your daughter was also doing, and this is a really important mm -hmm. thing to understand, is what's called upward social comparison. So first of all, we know everybody doctors their photos on, on Facebook and everything else, right? Or they only put the best ones up. When we get on and we compare ourselves to other people, that's called who we think are prettier or more successful or something that's called upward social comparison and it makes us feel bad about ourselves if but here's the other thing downward social comparison where you look at somebody and you say well i'm more of this or that than them you would think those two would cancel one another out but they don't but they don't the upward social comparison does far more harm than the downward social comparison does in making you feel better we call that a highlight reel in tv yeah. So when it comes to social media, what you see a lot of times, that's a person's highlight reel. That's not the actual behind the scenes. You know, that's what they want to show you. That's and a, a lot point. of people, yes, a lot of people use that um, now when it comes to social media. I'm sure with the children, if you're a 13-year-old girl and you're looking on there mm -hmm. and you see everyone that, you know, you feel like that is what I'm supposed to look like. That's the image of beauty. So I can imagine how that could be something heavy for a person that age to navigate. Young people that age too, another big issue they have is whenever people go somewhere, they put pictures up. Mm -hmm. And so you, you get on and you're 12 years old and you go, oh, well, I clearly wasn't invited to Susie's party, uh, right? The comparison. Yes, <laughs> and so there's this feeling of being left out. And one of the things I like to talk to my students about is I want you to think about those people who are gonna feel that way before you post. If you're at some event with people and there are people who weren't included, do you really have to post a picture from the slumber party and let everyone know who wasn't invited that you all had a, a great deal of fun and didn't think enough of them to invite them. So that's really, that's a big thing with especially tween girls is knowing when you've been excluded. So how do you even balance or even begin to balance all of these things as, I mean, preteen? Mm -hmm. So you have the tablets and all the access to the full internet. You have social media and you're supposed to focus in the classroom and make straight A's and be on course for, you know, your future and bright future ahead. How, how do you balance that? I mean, we can't get rid of technology because it's here to stay, but how, as parents, do we utilize those things so that it's able to be a positive? Well, you've got to set boundaries. And what I'm recommending to parents in Caddo Parish this fall is that they sit down with their families and they talk about technology use. And they say, all right, let's agree to do these things. Nobody gets to have a phone at the table. Dr. Roseman gets to have a phone because he's on call, but the rest <laughs> of us don't get to have a phone at the table. And we're gonna do all of these things. And then ultimately you create a contract, a device use agreement that everybody signs. And these are rules that, that you all follow. So you have to be present at dinner. You have to say, hey, this is how my day went. 
Yes. You have to have that in-person community. I mean, that's missing so much from these days, right? Mm -hmm. We don't have this around. We need to maybe have this more often where you yeah. and I talk and we get to know each yeah, other. Absolutely. We don't have enough of that, especially among the younger generation as well. Yeah, I find it, find younger employees that we employ at, at our place, you know, a lot of them don't have that one-on-one -on -one interpersonal skills that we had because we practiced it for, I guess, all that time when we were younger. But, you know, this, I think, is having an uh, impact on, on that part uh, of kind of that one-on-one -on -one communication. That is so huge. And, you know, learning to navigate personal relationships and the disappointments that often come with them, it's messy and it's uncomfortable. We all learned how to do it. What if you are a tween and you can avoid it? Right? Well, that is the reality. <laughs> and so, so then what happens? You get a generation that doesn't date. They've never asked anybody out on a date. They've never been asked out on a date. I had a class at Louisiana Tech where I asked my students, 15 of them, how many of you have been on a date? And I had one hand. Well, that's terrifying. That is terrifying. <laughs> they, they just kind of go out <laughs> in groups. I had a, another group of, of students. I that, thought you were going to say it's because they do online dating. And so that's <laughs> No, it's not even okay. online dating. It's that they don't know how to ask somebody out. In fact, they don't even use the telephone. All right, so uh, some of my students did an experiment where instead of messing with their phone when they were driving, they uh, decided to call somebody in their family. And I said, how was it? And they said, it was really awkward the first few days. And I said, well, who did you call? And they said, well, grandmother. And I was like, how is it awkward to call a family member, right? We're not used to it. We're not used to it. And those are skills that our kids have got to develop. Well, you know, I've, I, I laugh at it sometimes, but I'll go in a restaurant and and some younger people will be a girl on one side, a boy on the other side, but they're not talking to each other. They're doing their phones. Yes. It's mutual phones. So it's, it, it, even sitting right next to each other, you know, they're not doing those things. How do we as parents encourage that? What do we, what do parents need to do or grandparents need to do, uh, in my case, uh, to, to make that better? Well, first of all, you have to be a role model, okay? Uh -huh. So you can't sit there and look at your phone at the table and then get upset That's with fair. your grandchildren. Right. So you set boundaries, you set rules, and you say, all right, everybody, we're going to sit down. Now, here's the other thing, Dr. Rosemond. Don't ask people to not look at their phone when it makes noise because that's what we do turn off the phone. Like before we started our program today, we all turned off our phones, right? Yes. So turn off the phone or have a basket where everybody puts their phones in the basket in the living room and then comes to dinner without them. So find ways of keeping it from intruding instead of trying to just avoid it when it's happening. I'm taking it the next step, which is we've talked a lot about mental health issues and all the other issues related to uh, social media and, and the technology. But what about these really dangerous things? What about these catfishing and all these things that have names, sexting, all those sort of things? How do we protect our kids and our grandkids from that, those monsters out there 
uh, who and they really are out there. And there are many people, especially even outside the United States, who seek to divide us through things on social media. Um, and and what, what do you mean by that? Well, content that's not true, that mm. makes us turn on one another. Because if we're turning on one another, then we are, as a, a nation, not as prepared to address problems from a, an outside entity. So it's really important that um, children and adults learn to recognize things that are not real. A great example is, you remember Pizzagate? I don't remember Pizzagate, but I remember the name. <laughs> Refresh my memory. Okay, so Pizzagate is, there was this conspiracy all over the internet that said that um, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton okay, yes, was that running a sex trafficking operation out of a pizza restaurant. And someone actually showed up with a gun in the pizza restaurant and discharged it at a door trying to free the people behind it. Well, it's all because of misinformation. Absolutely. And so we've got to teach people how to fact check and verify information and, and even just become savvy at spotting it where you go, there's no way that's a real person. And we see a lot of stories, you mentioned this before, but sextortion. Oh. We see a lot of cases of that, especially young people who they find their, themselves in a situation, but they don't feel comfortable going to an adult and talking about it. And so they continue to, I guess, cooperate with someone that if you would just go and talk to an adult and just be honest, you might be able to nip that and have yes. an alliance, you know. That's a that's a big thing. So what we're talking about with sextortion and and it's it, it's a byproduct sometimes of sexting, whereas uh, often a female will send a nude or intimate photo to someone and then it gets shared, or that individual then uh, says, if you don't do this, this, and this, I'm going to share it with others. And of course, someone who has sent the photo in the first place might feel a lot of shame and the last thing they want to do is go to their parents and say, I did something really, really stupid. Mm -hmm. um, but that's what's really, if, if there's a piece of advice I could give to parents, it's keep those lines of communication open. open. Don't flip out when your child makes a mistake and make them scared to come to you in the future because they're going to make mistakes, yeah. right? So, But you've got to be that parent that, that your child can go to and say, I'm in trouble and I need your help. Well, Jonathan, this has been great information. Sure. So uh, much good information. So much good information. <laughs> and thinking about, I know this is going to be hard to do, but two or three thing, main things you want to leave with uh, people about what's going on with social media and how to live in the, in the age that we're living in uh, uh, and be happy. And be happy, yeah. ultimately. Uh, first thing for parents is there are age limits on social media. That should be your starting point. Follow those. Number two, make sure that you have access to your children's accounts at all times. Until they are 18 and out of the house, you need to have control over passwords. You need to be able to look at any time and make it clear to a child that it will mean loss of privileges if they attempt to hide anything. Another thing too that's good is if you have any activities that are done on a screen, like video games, okay? Put them in family rooms. Try to keep technology 
in places where we all walk by, we all see it. And then finally, don't sleep with your phone. Yeah. <laughs> That's great advice because it goes off all the time for me. Yes, get, so get a I real wish alarm I could clock. really get rid of that phone. Get uh, a when real I'm alarm clock. Yeah, yeah. A real alarm clock. Yeah, got it. So you got that? You got yeah, some information? Yeah, I got the okay. information. Well, see, we all learned something here. I mean, most importantly, like I mentioned to you guys, I have a very little one. So, you know, this is information I'll mm -hmm. need down the road. But it's good to know that, you know, kids are going to make mistakes. Yeah. But you need to be, they need to be comfortable coming to you. Mm -hmm. So I, that was my takeaway from everything that you said, that you want to set those boundaries, but you want to make them comfortable and to know that it's a safe space that they can always come to you. Yeah, the, yeah. Best, the best advice I read in a book is don't be the parent that freaks out. <laughs> Good yeah, advice. For, for us on the grandparent level, you know, I have the same age group uh, uh, children, grandchildren as you have children. And this has really been good information. Uh, and again, I uh, want them to feel comfortable to come to talk with us rather than to go onto the internet and bear all Mm. issues yes. uh, with the whole world because once it's done it's, it's there, there forever it's out there forever yeah. and i think this is very wise advice john ed and appreciate so much what you're doing around the community and taking this up and working with people in the school i think you've been working a little bit with barksdale air force base and working other places yeah. try to bring this to people's attention can't yeah. tell you how much appreciate it because not enough people are but well, we all have devices, so we all need to learn how to use them in healthy ways. Well, we in reporting, we have two different devices. I have my personal <laughs> and my work phone. So imagine that. <laughs> we all need to re realize how to use them again. Yeah. But I've enjoyed talking to you guys and just in this conversation. Very informational. Good information. I'm going to go listen to this podcast. So hopefully anyone else who's listening, listen again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have new episodes every other Monday, and you can find KTBS Education Checkup wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for watching.